Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. It's good to have you back. I am excited to have you here. I'm excited for the conversation we're going to have today. Hope you're doing well. I hope you are surviving and, and maybe even thriving in your deconstruction process. If you are not, I hope that this episode brings you a bit of life and joy and peace and anything else that you might need today. Um, I, I really do hope uh, that you are okay. You know, that's my, my goal. And what I do here is trying to create space for people to be okay in this very hard journey. It's, it's a hard, hard journey, the process of deconstruction. Today, we've got an amazing guest on, um, Dan Koch, who I have only recently just discovered. Uh, you know, it's, it's times where uh, every now and again, you lull yourself into this false sense of security and that you just think you know everyone and everything in a certain area and a certain space. And you turn the corner and you find out there's a whole other side to this world. And uh, Dan is one of those people. You know, I was t- chatting with some um, of my patrons uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, they mentioned in passing, they were listening to a great podcast, so you have permission podcast. And I was like, that maybe sounds familiar, but I'm not sure. And uh, and then I was talking to some other people and they mentioned it. And I was like, I need to check this guy out. And so I checked out and I suddenly saw there's over 100 episodes that are phenomenally rich and deep and um, and so interesting. And there was well, great guy, Dan. And I was like, I need to connect with this guy. And so Dan very graciously um, said he'd love to come on and chat. And so here we are. We're going to have a great conversation. I really hope you enjoy it. Um, Dan is just doing amazing stuff. He's researching um, religious and spiritual abuse uh, and, and doing great work there. He's got this amazing podcast, You Have Permission. He's got a great website called So You're Deconstructing. Um, and that's for people that are going through deconstruction that want to hold on to their Christian faith. You know, a lot of the time, um, as we learn to deconstruct, as we're going through deconstruction, we often feel we have to just walk away from Christianity because of the answers given to us from within that uh, fundamental box. We're so rigid, so clearly uh, wrong to us. And so now we just put them to the side and move on. Um, And Dan has a real passion to show people that there is actually a very broad, generous orthodoxy within Christianity a lot of the time. That often because your pastor says there's only one view on hell doesn't mean there's only one view on hell. There's actually a few views on hell. Because your pastor said that God has to kill to forgive that might be what he believes. But if you don't believe that, you can still explore many views throughout the history of Christianity and, and many modern views on what the cross might mean and how God forgives and and, and what the atonement means and, and things like that. And so his website, So You Have Permission, his podcast, uh, sorry, So You Have Permission, it's like a weird quasi mix of the podcast and website. His website, So You're Deconstructing, and his podcast, You Have Permission, really dive into a lot of these um, these kind of things of looking at Um, how broad Christianity can be and how inclusive Christianity can be to a whole bunch of different beliefs as we deconstruct. And often there there isn't a need for people to leave Christianity. Of course, some people have to leave. Some people find that they cannot reconcile the concept of God, Jesus, you know, the atonement, all these kind of things. Even with a broad Christianity, it just doesn't make sense anymore. And that's okay. There's you know me, you know this place, there's no judgment here for whatever you believe and wherever your deconstruction leads you. But I do think a lot of people, they certainly don't want to go there. Even those of us uh, that maybe uh, have progressed beyond and, and into something uh, beyond and, and, and non-Christian, um, most of us never wanted to do that. We, we desperately wanted to cling on to Christianity. And so Dan is an incredible resource to connect with if that's you. You know, his, his website and his podcasts are really helpful. I'll, I'll plug those again at the end and Dan will probably mention those as we go through the conversation and, uh, and I'll make sure he gives a good plug for those towards the end. 
Um, but yeah, I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Before we start, remember to connect on thedeconstructionnetwork.com. It's a completely free resource that helps you find other people that are deconstructing locally. Um, so there's so many great online communities um, that you can be a part of, you know, on social media, YouTube, uh, on YouTube, on uh, Instagram and Facebook and stuff. There's private communities like um, my Patreon. I know Dan has a Patreon, I think, which has a private, um, I think, YouTube community. Whole bunch of different stuff. In fact, John Steingart just last week launched a new community on um, Facebook as well. And so check that out because that's bound to be incredible. Um, so there's all these different online communities, but nothing, nothing makes up for having someone that you can look in the eyes, that you can lean on their shoulder as you cry or fall over as you laugh and share a drink with, share a meal with, hang out. Um, I know those things are all very rare and we're longing for those things because of COVID anyway. But um, yeah, the deconstructionnetwork.com is a completely free resource and will help you try and find other people going through this process locally, which can be such a lifeblood. And, and so, I really encourage you to check that out. If you do want to become a patron and join our private um, online community, um, that would mean a great deal to me. Everything I do is free. These resources and everything else that I do, chatting with people day in, day out, all of it I do for free. And the only reason I can is because of patrons that are supporting what I do. And so if you'd like to do that, you'd like to join us on our online discussion community, you'd like to join us for regular video and audio calls um, with me and some of the other supporters, um, I'd love to have you on there as well. You can do that at patreon.com slash phildrysdale or phildrysdale.com slash partner. Um, but yeah, that's enough for me. It's enough for me rambling about who Dan is. I'll let him introduce himself now. Um, and so let's dive into the conversation with Dan Koch. Wonderful. Well, Dan, thank you for coming on. I'm really excited to get to know you uh, a whole bunch better. I've listened to a couple of podcasts, but I haven't dove in. I don't really listen to podcasts. Is that a bad confession to make on a podcast? I don't really I don't listen to a lot of faith podcasts. I listen to like movie no. podcasts and, and, and politics right. and whatnot. Yeah, you got to kind of keep comedy that stream clear. Or, yeah, yeah, comedy, just, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't get too bogged down in your own world, you know? Yeah, well, I feel like I do. Do you feel like you get caught up in the whole world of progressive Christianity, all this kind of stuff that's happening in this world? Like, or do you feel like you keep a good balance between the two, like your day to day life? No, I, I definitely Is, keep a balance. Yeah, I don't I don't tend to spend a lot of my day sort of thinking about it when I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Um, but I'm in, I'm in grad school right now, working on a doctorate in psychology. I still have my day job, which is for those watching the video, that's what these guitars and this keyboard and these drums are. My, my day job is writing advertising music until I get that degree and start practicing psychology. Um, and then I also have a one-year-old just turned one that I help care for and, you know, working from home. So I, I don't have all day to sort of like, I'm tired hearing this. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I, if anyone, if anyone listens to this or watching this is going, gosh, I feel like I do nothing with my life. You're not alone. This is how I feel right now. <laughs> like yeah, it's do not, what I do it, and a full-time job and it adds up to about 40 hours a week, maybe 45 plus time, you know, helping with the kid. Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, so there, but recently, uh, there has been this, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I feel like I've noticed, um, a kind of a flaring up, uh, and an entrenchment of the culture war, uh, sides on this issue of progressive or deconstructing Christianity. It, it feels to me like the word deconstruction has reached enough critical mass that like traditional Christians are getting worried about it. 
mm-hmm. uh, or maybe, you know, people in your average church have now heard of it or some of them have or something. And so you have these kind of personalities popping up like Elisa Childers, who's basically entire career as currently anyway, not her career in Zoe Girl, her previous band, but like her current career is like, you know, a, a bad way to put it would be fear mongering and, and a kinder way to put it would be, you know, being critiquing progressive sure. Christianity and, and the deconstruction movement. And so I have felt actually some kind of internal pressure to step into that breach a little bit mm. and be a, kind of a moderating force if I can, like a peacemaking force, because uh, I just I hate the I just hate the culture war stuff. And I yeah. have so little appetite to be on either side. So that that recently the gravity of that has been pulling me in in a way that mm. is still meaningful and that I feel good about. But but generally speaking, no, like I I am. I'm able to live my life for the most part. And, and uh, that way the podcast is really fun. So the, right. the conversation or two that I have every week, the times that I've interviewed for other people's podcasts like this, I get to, these are like enjoyable times in my week. Right. So I'm keeping, I've been able to keep it that way. It still feels <laughs> like a far, hobby almost like, you know, you're just doing something that you love and yeah, it I, I feel it, like it, I'm it, doing this full time. So I, right. I, I get it. I, 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 I get yeah. Talking to interesting people. I mean, I get stoked to get someone have someone interesting on and right. talk to them for an hour and a half. That's that's a joy to me. Yeah, <laughs> for yeah. sure. Wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, gosh, there's so many things we could we could dive off of on that. But before we do, do you want to give like a, a little like synopsis of what it is that you do? That um, I mean, you've got a lot going on there, um, and and we could talk about your your grad stuff. I mean, we could talk about uh, you know music and, and whatever. But I, I guess the main um, bulk of people listening to this um, who know you will probably know you through your podcast. And I guess most people listening to this who would probably want to follow up with this will probably want to look through podcast, what you're doing right. with you have permission and things like that. Do you want to kind of yeah. explain what that is and and kind of why you started that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so You Have Permission is my third podcast that I have either hosted or co-hosted. It's the only one I've got going right now. And it is really, uh, it is the overlap of Christianity and sort of taking the modern world seriously. So that might be, that's basically science of all sorts, both hard science and soft science, social science, including, of course, psychology, which is, uh, you know, sort of my my now chosen field of study and, and future career. Um, but a lot of theology, a lot of, um, and, and a lot of sociology, a lot of looking at, you know, trying to understand like what has happened in American evangelicalism in particular, because that is, that's the world I come out of. And that mm, more than half, at least probably at least 60, 70% of my listeners come from that world. Sure. And so we're, we're often trying to understand that, but also understanding yeah, j- just other trends uh, among the type of people who listen to the show or, you know, whatever. I mean, Christian nationalism or racial issues or mm. uh, conspiracy theories or, you know, all that stuff. Um, and then and I'm personally really interested in religious and spiritual abuse. That's what I'm doing my own dissertation on. And so there have been a lot of episodes about that. For instance, the day we're taping this yesterday's episode, if you have permission, was looking back at the Ravi Zacharias reports through the lens of religious abuse. So Mm. just specifically through that lens, if we're thinking about that literature and what we found, what do we see in that case, uh, Mm. in his case? And so that's the kind of stuff I'm up to. Wow. 
Uh, it sounds fascinating. <laughs> Just that I'm looking forward to this conversation for sure. So how did you get here? You know, like you talk about your tradition being through like most of us in some way, shape or form through a more conventional evangelical, maybe right. um, form of Christianity. How did you end up um, shifting out of that? What, what, what kind of sparked that change? What, did you grow up? Were you, were you kind of born into the, the Christian world and kind of navigate your way? I mean, where did, what, what, what went wrong? You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, so I, I got off kind of easy, Phil. I was raised what I like to call kind of like moderate California evangelical. Okay. So, uh, and that's not, of course, doesn't apply to all Californians, but there is a, there's a certain chill. There's a laxity to California culture. I'm from Northern California, not LA, but even so it's more casual. Uh, my dad was a therapist. I, I didn't actually think that I would be following in his career shoes there. I didn't decide that till 35, but here I am. So, so he was a therapist. So he believed in science and mental health treatments and, you know, mm. all of that stuff. So it wasn't like I didn't have a fundamentalist upbringing at all. Sure. Um, though there were fundamentalists that were involved in my Christian schooling. And I actually found that I got a lot, a lot more damaging sort of teachings and experiences actually came through my school experience than my church experience. And certainly mm -hmm. not really none with my parents. So, uh, yeah, so that's kind of where it started. Nonetheless, even though I didn't have sort of, you know, an all encompassing worldview slash culture slash friend group, the way that some of my, you know, Kentucky born friends had, I didn't mm -hmm. have all that to sort of tear down. I did still have, sort of the, the traditional uh, pitfalls of evangelicalism. So for me, the, the edges started fraying around questions of divine violence and violence in the Bible, questions of hell, uh, eternal, eternal torment versus universal salvation, or at least annihilationism. Um, questions of, of course, eventually it gets to the biblical text, um, you know, and, and that also related to evolution, you know, LGBTQ mm -hmm. questions, so that, you know, it's a, it's kind of a pretty standard, uh, yeah. set there. I didn't have, you know, one traumatic experience. I just kind of started thinking about these things and going, I also studied, I studied philosophy in undergrad at a okay. state school. So I, I didn't go into the Christian college world. And so, you know, obviously you start coming up against these things pretty quickly. And, uh, I'm definitely not a philosopher. I don't consider myself one. I, philosophy is very hard. I feel like it's above my pay grade. Um, but I, I had one professor in college who was kind of a Catholic. I think he's Catholic now. I don't know if he would have identified as one then, but I knew that he had some sort of faith, you know, the way he talks about things. And he was like very cards close to the chest and wouldn't really reveal too much. But one time in office hours, I, I was telling him about some of these struggles I was going through as a mm. 18, 19 year old. And I was like, you know, sometimes I, I just sit here and I worry, like, will I still have faith if I follow these questions where they're going? And he said, you probably still will have it, but it will look a lot different than it does now. Mm. And that was a very good thing for me to hear. And that turns out to have basically been accurate. I do still have faith. It is a lot different than it looked then, especially mm. – intellectually different um but also experientially different and you know all that stuff that's awesome did you did you go through that navigation i, I presume 
in the midst of that, you were still part of a church community, you know, still quite Christian. Did you, did you have kind of a world being in a secular university? I guess you also kind of were in this other world as well at the same time, I guess. Right. Well, actually, it's kind of interesting because the the school where I originally went to college, Cal Poly, it's the San Luis Obispo on the central coast of California, actually has a huge evangelical population. Okay. So it was a it was an undergrad of about seventeen thousand, and one thousand of those people would go to Campus Crusade for Christ every wow. week. So there's still so, a big bubble to kind of immerse yourself. Yeah. in. Yeah, I lived. I rented a the room I rented was in a house with non Christians. Uh, in fact, uh, drug dealers <laughs> at multiple nice. points. Okay. And I actually got <laughs> along. Do it, do it like all the way. <laughs> yes, exactly. I just thrown right in at 17. Uh, but I got along with those guys really well. And, um, and so I did have friends like that, that were not in that world, but most of my friends were Christians. They, I met them through that group. I, mm. I got into a band called Sherwood that eventually became my full-time job for about nine years. Um, and so we would practice all the time and we were all Christians and so our friend group would congregate around the house that then we rented out and the band and the shows and all that. So actually it wasn't, I never really was that cut off from Christian community. Sure. Although I did not find a church in college that I liked. I ended up actually just going to Catholic mass. I don't mm. know. You probably don't know much about this in the UK, but in California, a big deal you always learn about in school is the missions. So these are like the early settlements set up by, you know, Catholic missionaries and priests. Mm -hmm. And we had an old mission church in our oh. town that had a 25 minute mass at noon on weekdays. And as Perfect. a college student <laughs> right. with a late schedule and uh, some sort of ADD, that was perfect for me. And so that ended up being yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of my church experience during those days. That's perfect. Well, I, I lived in California for four years. So, uh, oh, nice further north than where you were, um, right up in Reading. So pretty, pretty north oh, and Redding. not yeah. the California experience, you know, we're talking very different, uh, yes. from most Californians. So, uh, yeah. Reading's I more that it's agricultural and yeah. It's a different more, world. It's, it's world. yeah. Different world. That's um, where we, and we have Reading to thank for Bethel church and all that we do. Has come well, I was with heavily it. involved with that. So yeah. Oh, you were. Uh, yeah, I was very, very involved with it. So I don't yeah. know your story. So I mean, you, feel free to dive in. As I have a colorful, wild, diverse story, but uh, yeah, this is this is the this is the Dan Cook show. You know, it's just not the Phil Dreisler show today. Well, I don't know. Um, I don't know so. how much you've told that on the air, right? But I'm. I, I've told. I've told. Like, there's nothing hidden at all there. Um, but yeah, yeah it, it's it's a wonderful part of the story, right? We, it all weaves in and becomes part of our uh, who we become. But yeah, so I, I do know a little bit include. about that. Transcend and include. There you go. As I've Some heard Wilbur. people, as I've heard people say that Richard Rohr says, quoting Ken Wilbur. <laughs> exactly. Every time. But I've not um, read either of them saying that. I just I pick that. It's the one of the things you pick up. Uh, it seems good though. I mean, it, Wil therapeutically, Wilbur it's is, sound. Is pretty wonderful. I, I love Wilbur. I highly recommend his stuff. Uh, yeah, I I, I have people sort of recommending him to me pretty regularly. You know, various listeners and and friends and stuff. I haven't picked it up. I don't really read anything right now in the middle of school. Dude, uh, you've I, got a lot going on. The, yeah. And Wilbur is not easy to read. We're, we're doing, uh, as part of my Patreon, we do a book club. And one of the things we're doing is, is one of his books. They begged me to do this book. And yeah. I'm like, you really want to do this book? And like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, so probably one of his most successful books. And about chapter, actually, I think it was in the prologue. People were like, well, this is pretty heavy. And I'm like, yeah, welcome. <laughs> and this is, yeah. he's like, there's no footnotes in this one. It's, it's a great book. If people want to start with Ken Wilbur, I highly recommend Brief History of Everything. It's really good. But 
it's it's complex. You're you're creating a meta narrative out of over a hundred developmental models. I mean, what did you expect? Yeah, I think I <laughs> I think I have avoided him in part because I'm very suspicious of meta narratives. Like I I'm yeah. a true postmodern as far as I understand the word in that sense, and so. You know, when when spiral dynamics comes up and stuff, it's always mm. like, well, the people who are talking about it always happen to be, you know, green or above. They're like, you know, they always happen to be at the top of the spiral. It's a little bit. It's not the same as chronological snobbery, but it's, um, I don't know, something something gets me weird about it, where I feel more comfortable just analyzing sort of the the smaller bits and just trying to mm -hmm. be honest about those. So. You know, I, I'd prefer to like, let's do a personality profile of you and talk about your traits. And we're sure. not, we don't have to get into any sort of like, well, the best combo of traits for the future man, is, you right. know, like anytime it goes there, I just get a little, I don't sure. know about that. I think most people but, just misunderstand these models. And, and so like, it's just so, um, it's a very basic way to see things as a hierarchy and as uh, this is better, even later stages are better than prior stages. Generally yeah. speaking, if you're talking to someone that's at a later stage, you'll go, no, that's not how it works at all. Prior stages are much better than later stages in a certain context. And later stages are much better than an earlier stage in a certain context. And you are all yeah. of those stages anyway. You're just applying them differently. You know, it's, it's the sure. a gun gunshot goes off in the air. It doesn't matter how green or yellow or however what high colors you are. You go down hard to your kind of more base instincts of like, I'm going to survive right. this right now. I'm going to hide or I'm going to yeah. try and tackle this guy to the ground. Those might be very basic primal instincts that are kind of more deeply within us that we might not like to be seen as every day, right? We don't want to be uh -huh. seen as a, a, a primal animal, but it's in us and it's not a bad thing, right? If you don't eat or drink every day, you go south really fast so that's still right. in you and it's still a core component of who you are um, yeah. so i think a lot of the time yeah. these models are mistaken that we we try and think that a later model is better you know you look at hierarchy of needs or whatever your thoughts are on that the base needs they they come up real quick when you neglect them <laughs> it doesn't right. matter how high up right. you go and and how you know actualized you become it towards the top if you stop getting paid you're going to very quickly start worrying about getting food and shelter and uh, right. and water um, and so, yeah, I, I think it, these things are, as always, nuanced, complex, and generally speaking, um, not to be glanced at and assumed that uh, that people know. And that's what happens nine times out of ten. You know, yeah. like you said, almost everyone's like, oh, I'm at one of the latest levels, and that means I understand everything, and oh, I should definitely be in charge. And it's like, probably not. I don't think many societies are ready for someone at that level to be in charge. I think it'd be a disaster. I mean, looking at how, who we've selected to be in charge so far, I think we're not ready for someone else. Yeah. I, I may yeah. not, I may just not understand them well enough yet. And perhaps, yeah, maybe one day I will, I'll find that really appealing. Yeah. Who, who knows? Who knows? Maybe as you move to different stages in the spiral. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> who knows? Um, or if you were a different personality, who who really knows? Right. Um, sure. I definitely think that's a part of it for sure. So I'm really intrigued as you were going through this, um, you know, you're living in this quite Christian bubble and you're living in a, a Christian world, but you've got these questions and you, you know, you're talking to this professor and going, you know, I'm freaking out a little bit here. Mm -hmm. What was it as you started to be, feel a bit more freedom to expand in your thinking about this? Did you find room to... Um, be yourself in that or was that quite a private isolated process for you i think that having the band was really helpful and and the kind of small group of friends maybe another 
five or so people. So, so call it a group of 10 sort of close friends and, and fellow musicians going through some of this together, you know, not, not always to the same sort of like theological level. Like I'm the only one of them that started a theology podcast, but in terms of like, you know, the critiques we had at the time of campus crusade that we mm. were going to, and, and sort of like the, yeah, the, the weird feelings we shared. And some of those friends were like originally my appointed, you know, Bible study member or leaders in campus crusade. And so there was, there was a lot of, it was not precious, you know, it was not mm -hmm. a fundamentalist context where there's really any kind of top down authority. And so I do feel, I, I did feel like it was fine to be the guy who showed up 15 minutes late to skip all the worship songs, which is what I routinely did. And I felt that it was fine, you know, towards the end of our time there when we weren't even going anymore except to pass out flyers for our shows to the people that we knew would, would at least some of them would want to come, you know. And so uh, that wasn't the kindest, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> way to use that resource, but it, it was fine. Like, you know, so I, I do feel like I've always had enough of a social structure, enough of what Mark Karras calls an unholy huddle. Mm -hmm. People with whom I can kick this stuff around, I've just always had that. And so yeah. it is actually hard for me to imagine what it is like for people who don't have that and who have to go through this stuff without that social yeah. group. Um, yeah. And, you know, my wife as well, like we, she doesn't need, she doesn't require the same level of, of, you know, intricacy and, and uh, detail on a lot of these questions that your show and my show tackle. But we've broadly agreed. You know, we, we've broadly moved the same direction at the same time. Mm. And so even there, to be able to, if something is bothering me, I can talk with her about it. And we've known each other and been dating dating or married for 15 years. So right. that's a long time too. So yeah, I've been really fortunate in that regard. And I was, I had the right kind of band. We were that like Christians in a band band. Right. And we weren't on a Christian label. We occasionally would play shows or tour with Christian bands. Like we toured with Reliant K once. And, but mostly we were not. And so we could, it was just, I lucked out in some of the, in a lot of that context. That's a great question right. though, by the way. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I think the vast majority of people that navigate this process, um, uh, I don't actually have hard data on this, but I do know anecdotally working with tens of thousands of people for the last 10 years, like I know quite strongly anecdotally, it's a very lonely process because yeah. most people do exist in these bubbles and a lot of them, depending on how fundamentalist they can be, are not the safest place to explore, right? You start exploring some of these out. So you start right. going, oh, universal reconciliation. That's kind of an interesting concept. Or even annihilation, huh? Interesting. And you go, hey, Greg, yeah. have you ever read this book? And it's over, right? Greg it's talks over. to his mom who talks to the pastor and someone's knocking at your door and you're getting the text. Hey, would you like to have coffee, bud? Like, you right. know, it's like, oh the God, what's happening? begins, right, yeah. It, it can get really scary really fast. And of course, that's yeah. not always the response. Um, right. There's totally a whole breadth within within the world of christianity of how people reply but it's it's a huge deal to have a a community to kind of feel safe within to yeah. explore these things and to, and to feel that i can be open and i've got at least 10 people that will go yeah we don't care we got your back i remember two stories about my my parents here so the first one is when i was still in in high school and i was meeting with my uh you know college counselor the, the person whose job it was to help us apply to schools. Um, and I was like, I'm thinking of studying psychology. I ended up applying at one school to psychology and at the school I went to in philosophy. So I ended up doing both. 
But she said, oh, I don't really believe in psychology. You know, I only believe in biblical counseling. She had gone to this school called Point Loma Nazarene in San Diego, very conservative school, at least at the time. And uh, I told my dad this. And my dad at this point had been, you know, kind of a pillar of the community, a regular therapist with his master's degree, you know, for 20 years. And, and uh, he talked to her or wrote her a letter or something. And she called me in and apologized. And oh, she wow. was like, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know what I was talking about. I was, you know, just repeating something that had been spoon fed to me at wow. school. And your, your dad actually convinced me that I was wrong. Wow. And so I, so that kind of a thing, like small mindedness in my mm. family was usually like pushed back against in some way. I would have loved to read that letter because that response know, right? is really interesting to me because I, absolutely yeah. I've seen people respond like that, but usually there's a way of communicating that might create that or, or facilitate that better. Right. I can imagine well, just and I running think she might have even might not have done that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. She might've been on the, like on the right word edge of the faculty there too. It's not like, like we had plenty of people applying in psychology. I, I don't think that, sure. that I was the only person or anything like that. Um, and I don't think all faculty would have shared her view at all. But the other one is like, I'm pretty sure I told my parents when I first read Rob Bell, Velvet Elvis, his first book, Mm -hmm. These are in my touring days. I, I don't know when it came out, but I read it around the time it came out. I read it in hardcover. So probably like 05, 06, something like that. And they didn't freak out or anything. I think my mom might've been like, oh, I don't know about a couple of these ideas. But like, I would be like, oh, mom, you know, we could talk about them if you want. Like, I just never had that in my, in my nuclear family, in my mm -hmm. family of origin, this was fine, you know? Yeah. And so- uh, you know, my dad had dropped out of college. He had a full ride to USC. He had a bunch of buddies killed in Vietnam. He was doing youth work and he dropped out. So when I dropped out to play in a band, it was like, we support you. You guys want to come live here. You know, right. they bought a bigger house so we could live with them, which we never ended up moving in. And they kind of have given me some shit for that over the years. <laughs> but I don't think I communicated it very well to them at the time. But like, you know, so I... I really, this is actually, it's helping me realize this to, to be asked some of these questions because I don't get asked this stuff a lot. I had so much sort of support around this stuff. Mm. Um, even the podcasting when I, when I was, you know, started being very public about some of these quite theologically liberal things, you know, my mom has listened and she's been like, you know, I don't agree with everything, but she's probably moved 60% toward where I'm at. And yeah. we'll talk about things sometimes, you know? And so it's, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm feeling very grateful for that as I answer this question and sort of verbally process it in real time. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's huge. I mean, as someone that like spends, you know, two, three, four hours a day talking with people and helping them process how they're going to come out to family and, and, you know, what they're going through internally and figuring right. out how to do this in the community. It, it, it's definitely the case that a lot of people have that kind of um, uh, world that they're growing up in and it's, it's such a privilege for them. But And obviously because of the nature of what I'm doing, I'm skewed to talking to people that don't have that because they're right, looking of for someone to Those help people them. who um, seek you out. But right. there's a lot of people that just don't have, I mean, there, there's, you, you know, they just can keep giving you a list of a, a whole nother group of people that will turn on them. Um, yeah, and so yeah. being able to go right back to that central spot of like family, no, mom and dad believe in me and, and they'll be there for me. No, yeah. my, my wife's yeah. walking with me either way. No, yeah. you know, my, I've got some buddies and some friends that are really here mm -hmm. for me, even if they don't agree that they, they love it. They love, you know, connecting with me, talking about these things. 
it's it's really really huge and so yeah i, I can well and truly see why that's set you up for a lot of success in in being able to because what it does is it affords you a certain privilege that you have a whole nother level of space mentally uh, emotionally to be able to then spend time exploring this stuff and and, and, and explore it rather than terrifyingly kind of tiptoed into it which right. you know other, if you're if you're thinking reading about this might be the most theological liberating thing i've ever done but it also may end my relationship with my mom you know right i mean this is the two that's outcomes pretty, here that's a pretty that's tough risk reward right? calculation yeah right <laughs> exactly right totally um, yeah and and so that's that's huge that's exciting um to, for me it to, was really more my own well. anxiety that was the that was the pushback mm. force so I, I have lifelong panic disorder. That's the DSM, you know, name for it. But I, you know, it's, it's kind of like generalized anxiety, um, but it's more about sort of really concentrated panic now and again. And then the fear of such panic, you know, being anxious right. about having a panic attack is the, that's the defining difference between panic disorder and, and generalized anxiety. And so it wasn't for me, like I, I have needed even more and more of those instances to be mm. able to fully admit to myself and to God that I have these liberal intuitions and beliefs. And so the two things that happened for me around the same time, uh, this is more like seven years ago, seven, eight years ago, was I started trying contemplative practice and people have varying you know, uh, experiences with that. But my experience was like immediate and overwhelmingly peaceful and joyful. Wow. And so that freed me up sort of internally uh, in, in the world of many of the modern forms of psychotherapy. We talk about con uh, what's called unconditional positive regard. This is Carl Rogers notion that like, one of the main things, and, and the, the data bears this out, that one of the main things that, that works about therapy is that the therapist treats the client just positive no matter what. They are like fully accepting. And then within that safety bubble, the client can work through stuff in a yeah. way that they can't do with other people in their life who do not give them. You know, life's messy. People get mad at each other. They have wounds. It's hard to give someone unconditional positive regard. Right. But when you're being paid to do it, you can you can keep it up for an hour at a time. So that, like, I basically experienced that from God, or that's my understanding mm. anyway, through these prayer practices. And that then freed me to go, oh, I don't have to, like, be anxious about, you know, woe to the teachers, for they will be judged more harshly. Like, that's not what's going on here. And then right. the second thing that happened was I became friends with a bunch of these theologically liberal theologians and philosophers mm. and people who work, uh, you know, in that kind of world of grants and science and theology and all that stuff. And so those people, then I was like, oh, these people love God mm -hmm. and they like teach at seminaries and they teach liberal things. So the combination of those two things of the direct experience of regard through prayer and then the additional social support with people who actually teach these, these particular claims that mm. I'm worried about. If I'm wrong and I lead other people astray, how will God judge me? Being like, oh, okay. Like I can take a chill pill, you know, to use a uh, nineties terminology here. <laughs> uh, and I was able to, 
to be confident enough to start, you know, that's when I, back when I started reconstruct uh, five years ago or so. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a very, very huge thing to deal with that. I mean, one of the number one things people say as they start to deconstruct is like, what if I'm wrong? Right. I mean, because we have spent our lives, most of us growing up in this decades for most of us with a narrative going off in our heads, being repeated by pastors, by family, by friends, by us to other people, um, that if you stray off this path, you go to hell. If you uh, are wrong, God will be disappointed in you or judge you, or you might get a Job experience where Satan, you know, causes your car to crash because you masturbated the day before or whatever, you know, I mean, who knows how, it, you right. just become this paranoid wreck, right? And that's when you're in, you can be a paranoid wreck, you know? Yeah. Never mind, you start to go, okay, I'm not even sure there is a God anymore, but I'm kind of freaking out that there is and and, i mean you know you'll know um you know looking at trauma and things like that you know you can deal with people that are atheists and have been atheists for two decades and still occasionally wake up in cold sweats fearing that they're going to go to hell and that stuff is ingrained that stuff is in the body you know i mean it's just stored up there and 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 it needs to be you know worked out and usually more often than not something like that certainly in a kind of more somatic therapy or something like that um, rather than just kind of hoping over time it will disappear. <laughs> I'd say 20 right. years on, you, it's probably yeah. not going to disappear in time. Um, and that piece, finding, I think this is what I find in general, like people ask, well, why is there such diversity in, in the deconstruction movement? Why is there so many people going, some end up progressive, some end atheist, some end up agnostic, some end up in the church of Satan. I mean, it's just like, you know, you name it, someone's probably going to go there. Um, yeah. And I think often it can be as simple as, they found the answers to their questions and they found a peace and a satisfaction and something that works for them in their life and helps them feel connected to themselves, their loved ones, the divine. There is no more kind of need to deconstruct for them. And maybe in time, you know, 10 years later, something happens, a loved one dies, you get sick, you know, whatever, you read a certain Bible verse and it kind of kicks off again and you have some new questions that might move you along into something else. But I think you know, having something as, um, as painfully, uh, you know, debilitating as a panic disorder and then finding something that brings freedom to that, that is an answer to sit on, right? You don't want to, so I'm going to keep moving away from this, right? No, (laughs) I think I'll stick with this contemplative practice that's giving me peace and helping me feel connected and helping me feel, you know, connected to the divine, centered in myself, peace. I mean, those are really good practices. And, um, and I think often people are going to get poo-pooed for not deconstructing enough because they stayed in Christianity or, you know, and everyone and their mom has an opinion on what deconstruct and who should end up where. And, and, right. and it's usually that people should end up wherever I am, right? That's basically how that story, anyone that kind of has yeah. that opinion, it's amazing how it has to be that they end up where you are. Um, right. Someone's ego taking over and, and being very fragile, I think, ultimately. Um, but yeah. yeah. Well, so to be, so to be, to be clear, it, it's not that the uh, the the prayer practice did not sort of treat my panic disorder. My panic sure, disorder sorry. has been treated through uh, SSRIs and therapy and learning new, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy and learning how to deal with it and recognize it and, you know, casual conversations with my dad, who's a therapist, you know. And so it was more, though, that, like, um, I think that the panic disorder – and by the way, I describe it as in remission right now because I haven't mm. had a panic attack in a, in a long time. But – it's it's still a very salient part of my life, and I sort of always know that it's there, 
if I don't take care of myself to some level, right? Mm. Um, but it's more that that provided the the backdrop of anxiety around some of this stuff, I think. Right. And my experience with uh, with the contemplative practice um, is is more just like I experience what a lot of contemplatives and mystics write about. And I know that not everybody does experience that when they try these things. Uh, one of my best friends, theologian Sarah Lane Ritchie, who's over in Scotland right now working, who comes on my show all the time, she has not had these experiences and mm. she's really tried. And we are roughly the same age, interested in the same stuff. We like a lot of the same theologians, you know, and we just have had different experiences. Mm. And so that's, you know, I think that that's also a way of looking at the question of, why do people end up in so many different sort of land, so many different places is that, you know, they're the combination of people's dispositions and their brain wirings, a lot of which is random. Uh, also the type of people you end up surrounding yourself with that you feel comfortable around that affects your plausibility structures. So the more people around you believe something, the more likely you are to believe it, you know, how come very few deconstructing Christians end up as like, Buddhists, you know, a handful mm. do, but probably because you don't have that many Buddhist friends, you know, yeah. not a lot of people are becoming Sufis, even though we all really like what the stuff we see in, from Sufi writers and stuff, but we're not hanging right. out with Muslims. So we're not going to become Sufi. So, you know, a lot of it is like, we think that where we land is where all of the arguments have brought us. That's <laughs> a part of it. But a lot of it is just that we land where we feel like we can have family. We land yeah. with people that we want to be like and want to be around. And so if you have had, like, I am quite comfortable landing in the progressive, progressive Christian space because a lot of the people that I really want to be like are progressive Christians. Mm. And I don't have any cognitive dissonance when I think about the type of lives that they end up living. I go, fuck yeah, that's the kind of life I want to have. So- right. I guess, you know, and then of course I find various arguments plausible and other ones implausible. And I, you know, all that, of course, everybody does all that stuff too, dealing with the arguments. And I hone the specific brand of progressive Christianity that makes sense to me based on those arguments to the extent that I want to, or I'm willing to put the time in to think about it. But yeah, so <laughs> that's another way of talking about how we're not all going to end up in the same place because we just don't have the same experiences. We don't have the same brains. Yeah. And the, the think, one thing I'll say is I want to say, sorry, one last bit. No, please. One of the, one of my greatest convictions about the world that makes me a progressive Christian, as opposed to an Elisa Childers style, you know, historic Christian or whatever, is that actually it appears to me that it's very hard to know true things in the world, especially the further you get from the straightforward and concrete or mathematical. So mm -hmm. what is God like? is a question that like, I will never know that I've answered. Now yeah. I can have an answer and I can find it more or less plausible. It might be, it might be good enough for me to, to anchor my liturgical life. It might, whatever, but I'm never going to know that. I know that I'm right. Sure. I, I'm never going to have that. So that's like a, that's a big dividing line. A lot of times in these conversations. And what mm -hmm. I would never want to do is deconstruct out of a certainty obsessed evangelicalism to a certainty obsessed non-evangelicalism. Sure. That that's a that's a lateral move at best. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, absolutely. I, I fully agree. Um, I mean, it's why when we did our research in, in, in highlighting what is a deconstructing Christian, you can't, you can't research a group unless you can define it. And that was the hardest part of everything we've done was just going, mm. wait, how do you define this group? Because it's not yeah. that they have a set belief, you know, it, it's that they, they have a commonality in their, in their trajectory away from something really more than anything else. Right. Um, and so it's, it's really hard to, to um, kind of put your finger on it. But, but one of the key components was that they hold their spirituality, whatever that might be, with less certainty than they yeah. held their their fundamental belief. And, and so it's, it's fascinating. One of the things that you touched on there, though, that I think is so interesting, because I 100% agree that, um, of course, we're shaped by our community and, and the structures we're around and, and what makes us feel comfortable and safe and, and, and you know, fit in and, 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 and be able to exist in this world as a person in relationship with others. What makes that so interesting is, as you say, you're more likely to land up as a progressive Christian because coming out of Christianity, at least it's more likely you'll find some progressive Christians that kind of get where you're coming from, where you've been, where you are right now, how you see the world. It's all going to slowly come together a lot easier than if you jumped into a Buddhist commune in you know, China. Um, right. That's less likely. Um, what fascinates me the most, though, is that dynamic clearly isn't strong enough to stop people deconstructing. Because if that was the most right. strong drive in life, people just wouldn't do it. And, and it and, and, but what it shows is as strong as that drive is, as strong as that is to help shape us and guide us and direct us, deconstruction is a powerful force. You know, these right. questions are so powerful that they cause us to go, I'm going to get up and, you know, use a biblical analogy like Abraham, you know, get up and leave my father's faith, leave everyone I know, leave my yeah, community, right. leave my, you know, it's this, this powerful shift. Um you know, that on a psychological level is is really quite um, intriguing um, because it is yeah. a huge ego death on a lot of uh, levels. You're, you're really trying, you're dying to a lot of things in that in that step. So I I think that what I'm realizing about myself is that I'm I'm a realist about deconstruction. I think in the way that it's maybe not the right way to use the term, but in the way that people who talk about science or truth or whatever, there is a fact of the matter and maybe like a like a critical realist approach uh, to epistemology, to literature, to historical criticism is like there is a fact, but there is a fact of the matter, but it's difficult to get at it. And so we're going to utilize all these methods to sort of do our best to get at mm -hmm. it. But it's not as if all truth is constructed in the minds of the beholders, right? So when if we apply a realist framework to deconstruction, I think what we find. Uh, and this is early for me, but but I think that it's borne out by what I've seen is that the more of a house of cards you have built up around this, this doctrine, this community, this way of life, the more totalizing it is, the more disconnected from the facts it is, uh, the 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 bigger the fall and the more mm. inevitable the deconstruction is once one of those things is pulled at. Right. So one thing that you and I don't end up finding a lot of is people coming to us and being like, Phil, Dan, oh, my God, I'm so glad I found your podcast. So I was raised moderate Episcopal. <laughs> yeah, or I was raised Unitarian Universalist. I don't get those emails because right. there's no there is less pain in that. There is yeah. the, the Unitarian minister is like afraid to claim anything is true, <laughs> much less that you can base not only your entire life, but all the global events of the next 20 years on this reading of this obscure passage, right? Like, so there is a sense in which 
the more divorced from reality it is, and I'll give you one example of divorce from reality. Um, and this is really what a lot of my early episodes of my show were based on, was just there does exist a variety, objectively mm-hmm. speaking. I feel like I was yelling that from the rooftops <laughs> at, at the beginning. Like, So if your pastor says Christians believe X, and then X is some Southern Baptist interpretation of these three verses from different books put together. That is right. false. It, it's just, it is, it's false that Christians believe it. What's true is that certain kinds of Southern Baptists and other Calvinists believe this interpretation of these things. So the, the more distance you get between the claim and the facts, as opposed to a Methodist preacher saying, we love John Wesley and Wesley thought that this verse indicated X. Well, that's just not going to be a problem if someone mm-hmm. comes across the Calvin interpretation of that verse because they know, oh, we're going on Wesley, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I'm picking on Baptists here, but there's, you see it elsewhere as well, of course. Sure. So there, there's a realist dimension to this, I think. And, and that is some of the, explains some of the variance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it makes sense, right? If you believe things are absolutely this way, no question, this is the way it is, and one thing is proven wrong. You see this a lot. I mean, it's a it's right. a trope and a stereotype, but you know, kids brought up in a homeschool in the church all the time, never really exposed, and they taught that God created the world in this many days and blah blah blah. Right. And they go to somehow they go to a secular university and they take a geology class, and they go, "Holy shit." Yeah, everything is a lie, and it's like, well, no, 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 hold on. Probably not everything. No not one everything, is. Yeah. No one is smart enough to lie about everything, right? No one's that smart. No right, one can right, be that right. smart enough to be wrong about everything. Um, right. They might have got some stuff right accidentally, but they probably got some stuff right somewhere. Um, but the 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 extremity of like, well, I was told that if you can't believe X, then it's all crap. Yes, if right. if that's not true, because this is just absolute black and white. This is the what it says, and therefore. If, if, if what it says is wrong, then all of it is wrong. And, and you get to bits where you go, oh, well, what about when they give the dimensions of the arc and they explain how to make a circle and they give pi to be three? But it's not right. It's bloody good for the Bronze Age. It's yeah. really pretty close, right? But we know that pi is not three. So are we going to throw the whole Bible out or are we going to go, this probably isn't a mathematical text. Maybe we should oh, give even, Genesis a one. bit of grace, right? You know, it's, it's right, just like right. these kind of points of like, we look at, you yeah. know, the first couple of chapters of Genesis and go, ah, this is ancient mythological poetry. It probably isn't a biological book. It probably isn't a geological book. It's not a book explaining, you know, kind of like, you know, astrological physics and, you know, and yet if you're raised believing that stuff, you have to throw it all out at once. And and so I think you're, you're spot on. Like, uh, you know, most people that go through this process are coming out of something extreme and their reaction um, fairly, at least early on, can be very extreme. It's quite a pendulum swing of, and, and, and it's a pendulum swing of emotion that comes with that as well, right? Because it's it's not a small kind of push out of a oh, certain I mean, belief. It's, it's escaping, you know, to the extent that it's what you're describing, it's very similar to leaving a cult. I mean, it's like, mm. you know, complete sort of thought and community control and to the extent that it is like that, then that literature becomes applicable. And the stuff we see there is, is fascinating. And I I am glued to all these great cult shows that have been coming out recently. You know, it's absolutely. But it's also interesting, like there is a moderating influence on that. So e- you could even have a church that specifically teaches all of those things. But you might still have a bunch of families in that church where 
one parent or the other parents like, yeah, but uh, maybe dinosaurs were a million years ago. You know, you can have you can have people that don't buy it all that come to church twice a week. Right. And that just think like, that's not why I'm here. Yeah, that's what the pastor believes. Mm -hmm. And if that's your mom, then you're better set up. And if your mom is like, pastor, how can I convince my children that you're right about this? How do I fight right. the dark forces of secular science? You know, and and so much of that is uh, is affected by what our primary caregivers and our primary sort of social group are like. Yeah. And and yeah, so the so the more restrictive, the more you are going to boomerang out and the more pain you're going to have as you do. Right. Mm. That's so interesting. I, I can see that in my own journey, just looking, I'm a pastor's kid and my dad was quite, um, he just came from a very rough and quite wild background. He was in the Navy. He was a DJ. He was like, you know, quite wild, womanous, like all sorts of just crazy drugs. Um, and, uh, and then got saved, miraculously healed at a Pentecostal meeting and was like, oh, I guess I should get saved since I wow. got healed of a stomach ulcer overnight, you know, and, um, yeah. and then became a pastor and was very, very serious, about his very intense. Um, but my mom was very serious about her faith, but totally disagreed with the one, you know, a whole bunch of stuff in the grand scheme of things, like 10% or something, right? But yeah. not a huge amount. Um, yeah. But she always brought us up to question everything. And we saw that modeled yeah. when my dad would say something and, she, and she'd be like, well, kids, I don't know if I see it that way, but maybe it's a bit more like this. And you're like, oh, okay. And it's like what you're saying, right? Yes. If you're brought up and going, look, the, the Methodist, I was Methodist. There's this guy called John Wesley, and he kind of helps us, informs us on what we think. Um, but what happens is if you go at some point, you go, well, Wesley's obviously wrong on that. Well, because you've been taught this is Wesley's interpretation, you can go, well, what were some other people's interpretation? Now I can hold yeah. on to 98% of what Wesley's convictions right. were and look at some other ideas in that area. Um, and that's such a, a freedom. I wonder, was it intentional of you to focus on that so much early on? Was, was there this, um, because I see that as people come out of these, um, extreme positions, um, I never try and, um, I never try and dictate where people go. I just think right. on the whole, that can be quite, in my opinion, I think it doesn't it work anyway. Um, but yeah, exactly. it only adds stress to me and it becomes a, a bit of a, que a question on the ethics. Um, oh, for sure. But, yeah. but I do find that giving people as many options early on helps them feel safe in this process yeah. where they don't just go, oh my gosh, I've been thrown out of catapult out of Christianity into atheism, which I, right. I mean, atheism is worse than Satanism in the church in America for right. a lot of people. You know, this is the worst outcome. And so just to go, hey, by the way, on your way, on your way, way into that deep evil yeah. atheism, here's a whole bunch of other ideas about that question of hell you have. Right. Here's a whole bunch of ideas of how some people have incorporated evolution into their Christian faith. Here's some ideas about that. Uh, was that intentional on your part to kind of, frame the beginning of your podcast and what you were doing yeah that it way. was it was intentional and and uh more recently i don't know if you saw it but my friend sari and i we we co-authored a website that's up called sowyourdeconstructing.com and it basically is the thing you just described it is it's a list of resources on all these potential questions that gives a variety of views mm. uh and I think it was intentional. It's in it, and it continues to be intentional. Um, I, I've I just covered a lot of the, you know, I covered a lot of the big questions already sure. in a hundred some episodes. But the reason that I was intentional about it is it's just fucking obvious. Like it's just in in terms of like a a market sense, it was the clearest niche. Yeah. Like it's the simplest argument you can make is to say 
look, pick whatever book by whatever scholar you trust on the history of Christianity, okay? Whoever you like. And then let's just look at the way that Christians have disagreed on this. It's just the facts. It's completely inarguable. You can't, you can either ignore it or you can just yell and tell yourself that your little branch happened to get it all right. Even if you're a Catholic, which is like 60% or so, 55, whatever of worldwide Christians, you still know that Orthodox Christians exist and that Protestants exist. And you know that they've written books that maybe someone in your life has read, or maybe you like Terrence Malick films. Actually, I think he might be Catholic. Uh, You know, whatever. Like there is something that a Protestant or an Orthodox person has made that you resonate with. And so that's, that to me is just like, it's, it's not only step one, it's like the most obvious step one. And it is insane to me how common it is for people to skip over that. Not, not, not people who are deconstructing people in these more conservative to to just ignore that. It's just, it's bonkers. Like you could say Mm -hmm. we disagree with them or we, I think this guy's heretical or whatever. Okay, fine. That's a, that's a better place to start at least that you're acknowledging mm. that they exist. And then we can talk about, well, what are the arguments, you know? Yeah. Anyway. What, what do you think that's, you know, so I, I would immediately jump to some sort of developmental model and say, well, you've got conventional and post-conventional and post-conventional becomes more rational and wants to look at lots of views and, and doesn't have a particular authority figure that's giving them their meaning and safety. That, that's how I immediately look at that and go, oh, of course, these people aren't, they don't feel safe with the idea of multiple ways to see this because in their way of seeing the world, there has to be an absolute one way and they need to know that one way or they're fucked, right? They're going to hell. Right. Um, so whereas once you kind of move beyond that, you can go, oh, actually, I feel a lot more safety knowing there's multiple views and, and using my own autonomy and individual uh, intellect and rationality to, to reason what might be the most reasonable answer. Um, but do, do you think there's more going on there? Like, because it, it's, it, it's not, like you said, this is so obvious to someone once you're outside that. But I remember being in it and uh, I, I was always a bit of an anomaly. I, I've always been a bit of an anomaly. I remember my first my first week at Reading uh, in, in California with Bethel, they gave me a book. I went to do the school there and they were like, here's Bill Johnson's book. This is the reading for the first month. And I'm like, isn't he teaching like every day? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, so this is the reading by the guy that teaches us every day. I'm like, is there any diversity in this curriculum? Um, and I get it. Like you're here to yeah. learn about their stuff. So I picked up John Piper's God is the Gospel and Brian McLaren's A Generous Orthodoxy and read those three books in the first couple of weeks. Yeah. And that's my default, right? So so I, right. I speak about this and I'm, I don't know at what point I was like that, but I'm sure I was like that, but I can't remember. I've always been a bit like, well, there's probably different views to learn from. But for the most, most conventional Christians, they're not looking at different views that different views right. terrify them right the, the most you'll hear about a different view is from your pastor mark driscoll screaming about how the shack is dangerous or that's about as exposed to the shack as you're going to get my guess is i would guess though that most people don't spend their time looking at different views more out of a lack of appetite than fear mm. i'll give you an example uh there was a a brief stint in my life when i was driving um elderly people to doctor's appointments is before I was in school, I had a little extra time and I was feeling guilty for not volunteering to do anything. And I brought my wife with me one day. We did some errands after this thing or whatever. And there was this wonderful, uh, in many ways, so wonderful. She invited us back up to hang out at her place when we brought her home. She was a Russian Orthodox or Greek. 
Greek Orthodox, Greek Orthodox woman. And we got to talking about faith somehow. And, uh, you know, right before we dropped her off at the medical clinic, she was talking about how orthodoxy is the, is the true Christian faith. Mm. And I said, well, you know, I have a hard time really believing that because, you know, there's all these other, like, what about mother Teresa? And she's like, oh, she's one of us. So, (laughs) right now the point is just this woman, she had a way around it. She didn't, she wasn't actually committed to the strict interpretation of that claim, right? Like she had a way in for people that she thought exhibited Christ-like behavior. I think that's more what most people are like. Mm -hmm. I don't think most people actually have the gates that strong. I think they just don't have the time or the inclination and they've got a way around it anyway, if -hmm. you really push them on it. Most people will say, even if they don't think Catholics are Christians, that Mother Teresa is a Christian. So I don't know. I, yes, but I'm a little, I'm, I'm wary of ascribing so much to fear. I do think fear Mm. is a part of it. And the more fundamentalist and the more controlled you get in a societal sense, the more you'll see fear. But then the other really big and possibly more determinative aspect, I don't have any way of proving that, is the personality type itself. And so uh, how afraid of change is someone, um, you know, how risk averse are they, uh, you know, stuff like that. Those are kind of like personality traits that we can map and get sort of numbers on. Mm-hmm. And those would also correlate to that kind of fear. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind yeah. of my thoughts. No, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I am somewhere on the spectrum and I'm very averse to change, like massively. Which on I the autism of, spectrum. Yeah. So I, yeah. I find this is one of the most hilarious ironies uh, is right. that like, I have like done nothing but change my belief constantly as I've grown right. up, um, which is a terrifying thing to change as far as I mean, so it's gosh, been hard for you. But but it hasn't. I've enjoyed it so much, and I think are other types of change hard and not belief change or yeah. Like trust me, my wife can't get me to eat a different meal. You know what I mean? Like I do not like things being different, um, which is so. I've always found that is quite ironic. But I do think it it highlights that this isn't just about um, avoiding um, avoiding change or or fear or you know. I, I do think there's more going on here, and I think actually the pursuit of truth is often just as strong a motivator or. Or even mm-hmm. external pressure from suffering, um, or oh, yeah. even the pressure of love. You know, you find out your son's oh, yeah. gay, and suddenly that pressure is enough for me to start questioning: Do gay people yep. really go to hell? Because I exactly. really don't see that my my son loves Jesus, and I'm sure Jesus right. loves my son. So right. you know, there's these different motivators that are if uh, as strong, if not stronger, at times um, for sure. Um, it's so interesting. I'm not the biggest. I'm not the biggest Richard Rohr guy. Uh, I like him. Fine. I like him fine. That's a weird thing to say about someone like Richard Rohr. I like him fine, but um, I, I have found some of his stuff helpful, but I, I do think he's right when he says that most people don't, I think this was Rohr. It could have been McLaren in an interview with somebody else. I feel like they look similar in my head and I get them mixed up like their faces. I don't even know if they do. Uh, anyway, one of them said, I think Rohr, that people don't really change that often. Usually the way they change is great love or great suffering. And I think that that's true. Uh, And so that instance of your kid coming out as gay is actually a combination of both. It's great love for your kid and great suffering given your thing that your, your position that you're in your community, whatever. And that forces, you know, a look at things to, to your autism thing. I interviewed uh, a young autistic theologian named Aaron Burnett recently. She's actually Irish. 
Uh, and she found, she has been doing research on autistic Christians uh, and is going to keep going with it. But she's already found that they, that autistic Christians with autism are more likely to want something to sort of check out rationally. And so there, maybe though there, there is maybe mm -hmm. a resistance to change in terms of habits and behaviors, there might be an additional countervailing force of like, this shit has to make sense. Yep. I can't have internal inconsistencies here. That's not going to yeah. work for me. That is higher perhaps. So I, yeah. don't, I don't know anything about that. that I haven't done that, any of that research. That for me but, feels true. And that, that's how I've yeah. probably, most of the time that's kind of like, I'm like, it probably just feels like this deep seek for like, you know, this needs to make sense. It needs to line up. It needs to be true. Um, but I know that, I mean, I speak to plenty of people that come to me and, and they're just going, I, I need to know what's true. But of course, what's funny is they find, um, maybe some more answers, but they, they tend to find less and less certainty as they go on. Right. As you because study, that's right. The you true, because that's the, Oh gosh, the there's 20 the ideas is. here. <laughs> right. Because and the, we're trying the to world... define the indefinable and, and the ineffable. Right? Yes, exactly. That you, you're coming up against reality in that sense, I think in a very good way in that reality is not easily definable mm. you know science especially social science right when you're not dealing with chemical levels and you're trying to measure you know we were talking beforehand we were shooting the shit a little bit about research methodology and how difficult it is to measure well-being well there's a reason it's difficult to measure well-being it's difficult to know things it's difficult yeah. to measure anything it takes a lot of work by a lot of really smart people balancing their ideas off of each other to just even figure out how to measure happiness, you know, mm -hmm. and even then there are 10 competing ideas. Yeah. And so that's the way the world actually is. And if our religious systems are hell bent on denying that that's what the world is like, then they will lose people that come up into contact with the way the world really is. Yeah. That's kind of the house of cards thing that I was talking about earlier. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's huge, right? If you look at it as, you know, this kind of, there's a shift away from this kind of conventional approach to a very rational approach. And, and that loves to kind of knock it all down. But like you're saying, you start to move into kind of a more postmodern kind of uh, understanding and you go, well, hold on happiness. Well, your happiness is based on your life and your full spectrum of all that emotion you felt between happiness and sadness, whatever the spectrum is. And so your yeah. most happy moment could be a 10 out of 10 for you. But that 10 out of 10 might be a four for someone that had a much happier life. And then what does that mean? Mm -hmm. What made them happy makes you different. It makes me happy differently, right? Yeah. I, I, if I'm like obsessed with, you know, different things and I don't like change, having the same meal every day makes me happy. That might make someone else miserable, right? Right. right. Um, and so it's, it's such a complex thing to even begin to look at, you know? Yeah. Like talking about, we talked at the beginning, but I think it's an interesting concept is like, um, cause people ask me this a lot, like, you know, I feel miserable leaving the church. Like, will that change? You know, like, why is that? And I go, well, go look at the data, right? This has been studied a lot. When people leave religion, their wellness goes down. It does. Yeah. It does. No, there's not really an argument about that. But the problem is that wasn't some objective person, you know, outside of time and space, looking at this little object and going, oh, this is their wellness right now. And look at it now. That's someone saying, well, this is how I retrospectively evaluated my wellness before. And this is how I evaluate my wellness now. Or even these are the parameters I have for wellness before I didn't even understand mental health. Right? Maybe, think if you're maybe quite extreme career practice uh, advisor, they might not even believe in mental health issues, you know? Right, so right. what's your wellness? Well, I'm, I'm full of joy all the time. I'm full of the spirit, the spirit of joy. 
maybe an yeah, but there example, are some, but, but it's, it's complex. not all just, it is complex. And some of those self-report measures are really difficult. Like, okay. So for instance, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you before I disagree with you. So the agree with you no, part please. is yeah, yeah. I'm just now, I just shut down my big survey uh, looking at the prevalence of various kinds of potentially abusive religious and spiritual situations, as well as internal feelings as a result of those negative experiences. I, one of the questions I asked was how theologically conservative or liberal are you? And I can compare, you know, the people who are the most conservative and the people who are the most liberal, and I can look for differences. And what I find is that people who are more liberal report way more massively, significantly more spiritual abuse than people who mm. are more conservative. But some of these items should not have a difference, right? These are like concrete items, like my pastor explicitly claiming to speak on God's behalf. That should not, that should not change between, you know, uh, the group being more conservative and more, more liberal, but it does because of people might not even catch that that's what's going on. Right. Or, or maybe they think, well, this sounds like a liberal survey. And so, yeah, my pastor has kind of spoken kind of like that, but I don't think that's what he meant. So I'll put never. Like, I don't know. There are all kinds of reasons that people right. can do that. So that's me agreeing with you. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, there are more objective things. Like yeah. not all of them, not all these studies are comparing people from when they were conservative to then later when they're liberal. So that one of the confounding variables there is time or it's called history. So mm -hmm. maybe something happened, something happened in their life. They got more education around these term, these terms. So we can't actually trust their two reports. That's why you do blind, you know, do studies where you, yeah. at the same time, you ask people in both camps, there is divorce rates. There is, you know, marital satisfaction rate, which is not the kind of thing you would quite assume, you know, that's, there are so there are other things too that are that are more unimpeachable than mm -hmm. some of the you know self-report measures. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there are questions like how many times have you been stressed in the last 24 hours? You know, there there are things like that that smart researchers are doing their best to kind of get around these problems. Right. And so it's true that it's complicated, but it's also true that like, yeah, if you're going through faith deconstruction and you are losing the primary source of meaning that you've had for your entire life, you're going to go through some fucking pain. It's yeah, going to be absolutely. hard. It will be kind of like a divorce, yeah. some version of that, you know, and you yeah. should expect that. And there is also life on the other side of that. Yeah. That's also true. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting looking at longer term studies, you do see a bit of a bell curve. You know, you see this huge drop and then it kind of comes back up. Yes, um, that makes and, sense. And, and that, that makes sense for sure. And, and especially because when you look at it, the grief that goes on, the, it's loss of, it's yeah, it's loss of relationship to God. It's loss of meaning. Or it's certainly even if you hold on to your faith in God, it's a, your relationship changes. You know, it's yes. loss of what you had. Like it's my professor loss said. of your own identity. It's loss of your community. It's loss right. of every, I mean, every yeah. component of who you are is intricately woven into this. It's so much loss. And what's well, The really more fundamentalist you are, the more everything is... And, th and this is another thing that's interesting. Hits. So you, what's interesting here is you might be tempted to say that since the literature shows that greater religiosity is correlated with greater well-being, you might be tempted to say, well, then maybe these hyper-religious fundamentalist communities are like really good for people. <laughs> but I don't, 
I think that that's a leap that's not substantiated because the group of people who are religious includes all the people I just talked with you about, like the Orthodox woman who nonetheless believed that Mother Teresa was one of them, right? Like that includes all the moms like your mom who attend the whatever church and consider themselves religious, but they don't buy into the crazier interpretations and they don't. So the, the whole pool of religious people, it includes all these moderates. And the moderates are not the people who write the books and uh, write the homeschool curricula, right? That's not right. the moderates doing that. And so when – if I've ever thought like – and I have sometimes worried like, well, am I like encouraging people out of these healthy communities? It's like, well, the people who most need your show or my show uh, – are not the are not the moderates, right? right? They are the ones who got in at the dangerous end of the curve, mm -hmm. right? They are one or two standard deviations from the mean, if you want to use that language. Yeah. And and they're the ones who are really at risk. And in fact, those people are probably in many ways dragging down some of those scores, you know, yeah. from the the more integrated, moderate, you know, healthy in my in my language, in my view, healthy religious people. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because, you know, you look at um, data on pastors and church leaders and the wellness metrics are not good, right? They are really, really negative most of the oh, time. Oh, I haven't it's, seen it's, this it's, stuff. It's, it's astonishing stuff. I mean, if you look at data on pastors, it's terrifying. You know, 70% report feeling anxiety, like, you know, basically 24-7, you know, I mean, wow. one in 10 pastors retires a pastor. Isn't that astonishing? Wow. wow. Nine out of 10 pastors don't quote unquote make it whatever that means i don't know whatever um, means, they yeah. die maybe they maybe they just keep working after they should have retired i mean that's probably a metric as well somewhere I, i'm assuming that's covered in some way um yeah. but you know th there's astonishing um data out there that shows pastors are not happy they're not comfortable they're overworked they're whatever you know so there's lots of different metrics within that within the church yeah. there's so much especially you've got the moderates you've got the people that are you know running everything to the to the ground or, or or for the best possible outcome for a lot of people depending on who they are and it's it's such a complex world when we start looking at this. So tell me about your study that you're doing. Can you talk about what your doctorate's about and, and what you're looking at? Yeah, yeah, I can now. I couldn't for a few weeks there because I didn't want to uh, you don't want to mess put with my the, thumb the on the scale about who takes the survey, right? So right. What, I, what it turns out I was actually measuring was just a, a massive uh, battery of prompts around spiritual and religious abuse. I'll just, I'll read a few. So had two main sections. One was external events, um, you know, being asked to give up personal, vocational, or educational goals by a pastor, uh, seeing scripture used to justify physical punishment or other types of severe discipline, threatening divine punishment to keep group members in line, being treated, treated as less than because of my skin color, gender, orientation. So all of these are just, people just answer never, once or twice, sometimes, often, all the time. And then the second group uh, is more internal type states. Uh, oh, where is this? This report's being weird. Okay, so um, how like how often have you experienced these as a result of your negative religious experiences? Anger upon reflecting on these experiences, distrust of God, lack of self-worth, self-hatred or self-loathing, uh, avoiding religious activities to reduce distressing feelings, stuff like that. So it was right. like, 68 of those prompts or so, and then a bunch of demographic questions, basically. And so I am, I am trying to get uh, some good prevalence data, basically. We really don't know how common spiritual abuse is 
and by the way, spiritual abuse and religious abuse are terms I use interchangeably because there is no uh, agreed upon definition and yeah. some people prefer either term. So I'm just using that as either one. Um, and so we don't really know, like Lisa Oakley uh, did one study in the UK of 500 and something uh, church going UK Christians. And that's literally it in the Western world. So this right. is the next one and it's 3,200, uh, you know, English speaking Christians, mostly in the U S but not entirely. And I still have a lot of analysis to do on, on, you know, <laughs> how that should be weighted, if it should be weighted at all and uh, all the boring stuff that we can, we right. can save people. But, but yeah, that's, that's what it's looking at. And then eventually I plan to develop a scale, uh, a shorter scale, you know, 30 items or less that a clinician could administer to a client. Um, if this is something that's come up, and they can, mm. in five minutes, get a score or two spit out that's compared to some norms, and they can go, oh, okay, interesting. And you, and you said that this one happened all the time. Let's talk about that. You know, mm. so that's eventually the goal. Uh, but I'm also just really interested in the prevalence stuff as well, yeah. which is on the way to the scale. Yeah. That, that's interesting. I, 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 I mean, I don't know if you know, even know the kind of weighting of what countries are represented and stuff, because obviously you're, I'm assuming you're pulling from your audience, which is largely English speaking, which is crossing, but you, you look yeah. at that and, you know, you look at uh, Lisa's work in the UK, the UK church is going to be radically different than the US church, you know, in, well, it doesn't appear to be radically different. It is so far. Okay. I mean, so far it's not radically different on a number of the specific items. So I included a bunch of the prompts from Lisa and, and Rachel's survey so that I could test this out. Uh, and I don't have the, I don't have the numbers in front of me and the numbers sure. I did have were not final, but I actually found that mostly they were within five, eight percent percentage wow. points of okay. each other. Awesome. Uh, and, really and part of the problem there is that I included a once or twice item and I don't think that they did. I think theirs was just never, sometimes, often, all the time. And I threw right. in a once or twice for methodological reasons. Right. But so it, especially if you if you kind of balance that out, it looks to be kind of similar. And that's wow. what and that's what I'm if that's the case, that's really interesting. That's hugely then we, interesting. Then we have uh, basically mul multiple attestation that this stuff happens about this often. It's right. uh, you know, some of the numbers from her study, something like 84% of UK Christians at in a previous church at some time did not feel or at least sometimes did not feel comfortable raising concerns or questions, 84%. And it was 71%, yeah. I think, in their current church. Mm -hmm. uh, don't quote me on that. But those kind of numbers are like, okay, so that's that's really meaningful. Yeah. Uh, you know, and yeah. that that's goes to a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about. Yeah, no, absolutely. We, we had, um, in one of our initial service, we, we had almost identical questioning. Um, we, we used slightly different ones. Um, well, yeah, but yeah. Gotta, okay, we're gonna have to share data here very soon. I know, I know. Um, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. I, I love data as well. It, my friend that's in research, we, we are frequently sending each other the, the behind the scenes stuff and just geeking out. Um, yeah. So uh, it, it's, it's so much fun to look at these kind of things. And and it's exciting when you can find a study and go, oh, here's a study done in the UK. If I can kind of overlap some of the, the questions here, we can start to see, you know, how similar this is. Mm -hmm. The, yeah. the 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 things that come about are so fascinating so in our first study there was um uh this is going into the territory of geekiness guys i'm sorry uh, but we we did a we so there's a, a metric called the revised uh, the revised faith development uh, scale uh, and so this is a scale based on 
a whole host of different things. It's been developed over about 30 years, but um, it kind of initially kind of emerged out of um, some different um, developments, uh, theories based on spirituality and, and faith. Um, and then I think James Fowler got involved and that tweaked it a bit. And then some other That's people got involved. That's what I was wondering if it was that stage. It kind of, of continued to grow. Yeah, it, okay. It, it influenced it at one point, okay. but I think as it kept getting revised, I think it's this is its like third or fourth iteration it's over 30 now. years. Yeah. And so it's kind of okay. evolved and stuff. But what's interesting is if you give that, it's a scale from 16 to, 64 and um if you give it to a conventional christian across the board almost any denomination the score is about 42 as as kind of the Mm. kind of the mean Um, and we give it to a whole bunch of deconstructing christians and what's fascinating is it was a solid kind of 13 point jump it was a huge jump and we had a control group of about i think we grabbed about 56 conventional christians that were at random and it's amazing actually because their 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 mean was exactly 42 and i was like yeah oh, i guess that that is fairly accurate then i guess yeah um, good control so, group so you, you have these moments where you can go oh something's going on here it's really interesting yeah. so I, I love that you know you can compare something like the us to the uk and go oh that's a commonality that's crazy considering how different I mean, the uk is a largely atheist society the church is likely to look somewhat different than the church in america i can right. vouch for that having lived in both and having traveled to probably about a thousand churches across the two um i can tell you they're quite different at times they're very sure. similar in other ways and so suddenly you go oh one of the similarities is that they don't feel comfortable sharing interesting that's a yeah. really interesting kind of commonality to run through christianity or well or and then if you find forms of it there, you may find that some of these things are kind of baked into the structure of church itself. Yeah. The the more, you know, sort of cultures, if you were to find similar answers and whatnot. So yeah, that's all that stuff is great. I'm, I, I'm very excited to be at the very beginning of my research career. This is, I mean, literally my yeah. first thing in that, but I, I think I'll be researching part-time indefinitely because I yeah. love it. It's so much fun. And especially once you've started to develop an audience and you've got like uh, an incredible pool of that. I mean, most that's researchers incredible. start yeah. drooling at the idea of having 3,200 people submitting a survey, I right? It's I mean, that, that's insane. It's incredible. Um, and so yeah, I did, you, I pulled out, gonna... you know, I pulled out all the favors and I had a lot of other friends and podcasters help me, but I think it was mostly through my own show and my Facebook friends and just, you know, asking 30 or 40 people to spread the word. And then yeah. it actually, it kind of just kept getting, people just kept sharing it with each other. Uh, it, awesome. it, there was a lot of snowball sampling. And so I'm glad that I asked that, how conservative do you consider yourself question? And I'm glad that I asked, there, there's a question from the, the general social survey, which is uh, an American, like big representative survey that gets asked every year or something. And there are good numbers there. There's a question about the Bible. It's like, is the Bible... Should it be taken word for word, literally? Is it is it inspired but not word for word? Or is it a man-written book of fables and moral teachings? And so I, I asked that question exactly the same way. So one option I have is to weight my responses by the standard mm. American answers to that question. And so I can give those conservative voices more weight and basically offset yeah. – my, you know, the, the convenient sampling of being a progressive Christian podcaster, right? So I can at least go, well, this is, you know, I don't have like a lot of Catholics and I don't have a lot of people of color, but this is at least getting close to the, the religious views of the average Mm -hmm. American Christian. And so that will give me closer to a representative sample. So there's stuff like that. That's always, that's really interesting too. And 
and all the numbers come down when I when I wait by that. You know, there's there are of fewer course, people yeah. that that report any number of the the issues. Like I'm looking just right here at the the first question about um, the pastor explicitly claiming to speak on God's behalf, and and the number of people who say never in the regular sample is 35 percent, but in the weighted sample is 42 percent. So it's wow. about a, a six and a half percent jump there. But still, yeah. that means that even waiting for giving the conservative voices more, that basically it's a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Almost half of American Christians, at least sometimes, often or all the time, their pastor claimed to speak, to, you know, explicitly claimed to speak on God's behalf. That's yeah. not Orthodox Christian doctrine. No, that's well, yeah. <laughs> no, depending no who you Christian, ask, <laughs> no Christian denomination believes that individual pastors directly speak for God. Nobody believes that. So, what's that's going so on funny. there? It's it's some kind of narcissism. It's some kind of yeah. getting carried away with your little power that you have. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, but well, some of narcissism things, studies within leadership as a whole, and then if you subset that into pastoring, they're even they jump even more, but. I mean, those are fascinating in and of themselves, the, yeah. whether they attract that or whether like this is a systemic thing that kind of f facilitates that growing within someone to become more narcissistic. Who knows? Um, but yeah. um, it's one of those things you can point to and go, this is here. We're not sure why. Leave it with us. We're, we'll keep looking. <laughs> but right. Uh, right. It, it's, it, it, it is concerning, you know, like whatever it is, and it's probably yeah. a bit of both that narcissists would love to be in that position of power and that, that there are stuff, there is stuff about the system that church has become, this institutional movement thing, um, and maybe even some of the theological structuring around Christianity as it has become for most people facilitates narcissists it facilitates abuse it facilitates um sexual abuse spiritual abuse potentially I, you know i i mean you just look at the the ravi zacharias stuff that you you just did a podcast right. on it's not hard to go oh i can see how certain theological implications here have given you a real warped perspective on how to handle this um yeah, there's yeah. theology. There's also, uh, and this is to to bring it all the way back to that first thing we talked about with uh, the emerging culture war between progressives and you know historic or traditional Christians. There, with the Ravi story, um, there's this idea that like he's a warrior. You know, there's a mm. lot of these YouTube clips like Ravi destroys atheist on the problem of evil or whatever. And it's 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 really He's reminiscent the ben Shapiro of, ben Shapiro of the uh, Christian world, <laughs> Jordan Peterson or whatever, and uh, and my buddy Matt Carter, who co-hosts the uh, Bad Christian podcast, when they they interviewed the Christianity Today reporter uh, Daniel Silliman, who wrote the big piece on Ravi and was mm. investigating it for a couple of years, and Matt made this point that it reminded him of the Old Testament and how the Israelites wanted a king. And God's like, you don't need a king. You got me a direct rule by God. And they go, no, we want one. He's like, all right, suit yourselves. And then, you know, calamity ensues. And there's maybe a, a very deep psychological truth in that narrative that we want a champion. We want someone yeah. like Trump as long as he's close enough to ourselves to fight for us and fight dirty. And mm. we actually don't prefer the way of Jesus, the way of nonviolent Absolutely. resistance. Uh, and so that, if that's true, 
obviously Ravi Zacharias was a millionaire superstar apologist, but if that's what we want in a local preacher too, then that's what we're going to get because mm-hmm. at least uh, in most Western countries, you know, it's a little different in, in Europe. There are state churches. And so it's slightly different, but in the States, we have a pure market for religion. We have mm-hmm. a pure sort of capitalist market. Uh, nobody, no one is sort of forcing you to be church of England, right? It's like, you will go to the place that you like, you'll yeah. go to the church you like that gives you the best product. And there are pluses and minuses to that. Uh, but one of the minuses is that the consumers drive the product yeah. a lot and the denominational safeguards and whatever drive it less. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, if that's what American Christian consumers want is they want a warrior. They want a king in the way that the his Israelites did. Well, then that's what we're going to get. And we're going to get all mm-hmm. the consequences that come with that. And I think there's something there. I, I just started thinking about this because that episode's only a couple of weeks old. It's been kicking around though. I, I think there's really something to that. That's really interesting. And, and yeah. the, the parallels in that, you know, you look at how helpful and how healthy something like capitalism it has been for the West and, and for, for individual growth and development. And yet as it, as it develops, as its extremes start to pan out and flesh out, and as it gets to that kind of late stage capitalism, you start to go, stage, Ooh, right. this is not potentially the best model. And maybe it was helpful for some season, but we need to kind of figure out how we kind of course correct or, or, or you know, jump yeah. ship a little bit or whatever. It, it feels like, you know, this model for Christianity might've been one of the most incredible models. I mean, it certainly has served America a lot better than the model of uh, church has served Europe, for example. Um, now, historically, yeah, church worked really well, but why, there's, there's though, a lot of dynamics. Right? No, yeah. sure. But but allowing church to be kind of unfettered, allowing church to go, well, we'll be yeah. what you want, Spiritual definitely results in less yeah. people going, well, I'll go somewhere else. Whereas if, if the church is kind of more um, fixed in what it's allowed to be and maybe a bit more regulated. Yeah, I guess I, I'm not, I'm not clear though. I don't know about the causation there because, no. you know, we didn't have either of the world wars on our land. I think that's a big part of mm-hmm. the secularization of Europe. You know, the critical theory and all of the kind of enlightenment stuff did not develop here. You no. know, so I don't, I'm not, it's hard for me to know. I think it's hard for anybody to know, like what the real causes are of that differential between Europe and America. Sure. It is possible that having a more entrepreneurial, you know, more, uh, what's the libertarian kind of approach to, to religion, similarly to the way that that encourages, you know, people to invent Apple, you know, maybe (laughs) there's something like that. I'm not sure. That's, that's really interesting, but I, I don't, I'm not convinced of that. No, no, I, and certainly not either. I, yeah. I, I'm just saying it's the first possible. thing that fires in my head is going, gosh, that's interesting. Yeah. Not necessarily in the success. I think there's maybe some the, some ground maybe there to be flushed out, but it's really interesting to me to go, what happens when you let church become so unfettered that it caters for people? Yeah. So it caters. You do end up with that right. kind of late stage. It Maybe early on, that's not so big a problem when you're late dealing with a community. Evangelicalism. Of, late stage evangelicalism. Late stage evangelicalism. Gosh, evangelical is so new. Are we even late? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's such a brand new idea anyway. But you know, know, like when you've got small churches all over the place, you know, popping up all throughout America, and there's 20, 30, yeah. 40 people. Again, yeah. this is maybe a, a, a parallel to Europe as well. Most of our churches are very small. A big church in Europe is 100 people, 200 people. It's a mega right. church if you get to 200 people. 
In yeah. America, that's like, oh, it's kind of a kind of small mom pop church, 200 people you got there. You know, yeah, like, it's, it's and, medium, yeah. And yeah. So, so the degree of abuse, the, the separation of pastor from, from member, um, it becomes so broad, so wide very yeah. quickly in, in the oh, American yeah. model, you know? Um, it, that's it's, it's that's so got to be a big, that's got to be, be a big dynamic, yeah. You would think that, so, right? There's just more, yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. Gosh, hmm. there's, a, there's a lot there. <laughs> I uh, I had another thought, but it doesn't matter. There is too many. There are too many thoughts. Yeah, there are many thoughts. We'll we'll have you back on it sometime. We can we can shoot shit a bit more, and especially now we've gone yeah. over your journey, we can just talk random stuff because yeah, that was that was fun. I enjoyed it a lot. We can maybe talk more about once you've, you once you start fleshed out. Um, you're fleshing out your paper. We can maybe yeah. talk about we should how talk that's about going the results, and, and we fun. should talk about yeah. research anyway. Um, because I feel yeah. like we could potentially help each other out here, and and yes. yeah, I'll connect you with some we other should, people as well. We should be coordinating. Yeah, for sure. No, Dan, I have loved chatting. Honestly, this has been such too, a joy. Um, I, I, like I said, I've only managed to listen to a couple of your episodes and, and I've loved them, but I, I don't think I was uh, ready to, to click just as well as we have. I think we're very similar in a lot of ways. Oh, cool. So, uh, That's awesome, uh, man. That makes yeah, me feel really it's good. It's been really yeah. fun. It's been yeah. really, really fun. Thank you for I'm, taking the time. And, and you know, yep. I know you're a busy guy. You're much busier than me. Um, so, yeah, I appreciate it big time. I think similar hours, just it's split into more <laughs> tasks, you know? Yeah. I really like having many plates in the air. I thrive that way. So right. I don't, you know, my wife would tell you, don't don't cry too many tears for me. It's not like I'm uh, working on the laying rail track, you know. I'm I'm doing stuff that yeah, I like. That's true. That's true. Well, I like lots of plates in the air. I just can't catch many because um, so, I do focus. Yeah. I focus on one. So yeah, you hyper focus. That's exciting. Hot, chuck it up and then just forget I've thrown it up in the air. Right. Right. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah I, I'm I'm not so good at that. But uh, no, it's that's great. Dan, how can so you I mean you've got your podcast? You have permission. Yep. Your permission. Um, we'll, we'll put links to that, but people can find that just searching, I'm presuming mm -hmm. your name or you have permission. Yep. What else, how else can people connect with you, follow what you're doing? Are, are you on social media and, and stuff? Yeah, I am. So you can check out sewyourdeconstructing.com as well. If yes. that sounds like you or often it's like you have a friend that sounds like they could use that who is earlier yep. on in the process. And then and to uh, recap, yeah, that's kind of like a, how to explore the different options kind of, if you want to kind of, navigate somewhat holding on to jesus and christianity in this process because there's a lot of people designed, that kind of fall yeah. into that bracket right of course there are people who end up outside of the faith but it's it's designed for people who are early on in their deconstruction mm. journey to give them uh, resources including there's resources about therapy about churches and other digital communities uh, about prayer and spiritual practices and then the the meat of the site is all these topics so there's like 20 topics that each have 20 resources or something like that. Amazing. That if you're like, oh, I'm really wondering about LGBTQ inclusion. Well, here are a bunch of blog posts, podcast episodes, books, you know, whatever videos, uh, transcripts, stuff like that for, for awesome. just those burning questions that, you know, as you and I know from our own experience, one or one or more of those questions is often keeping you up at night when you're in the mm -hmm. thick of that. And so, that's that's Absolutely. pretty much what it is. If you're lucky, one or two, you know, I mean, usually right, you've right. got 30, 40 questions just yeah, completely right. ruining you at night. <laughs> I found that I would I would sort of skip around though. I, I would be one or two at a time that really had my You managed to hone attention. in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and good. then I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram and I can, I'll uh, send you links to that if people want to okay. follow me there. Perfect. Yep. We'll make sure the links to those are in the show notes and stuff. Cool, um, dude. But 
Dan, this has been a real pleasure. We'll, we'll stay in touch I for really sure. I really enjoyed it. But, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know when this will be out. I, I'm filming like seven interviews this week and they're all kind of wow. a bit up in the air as far as my, where they're going to come. Um, sure. I used to do two a week and now I'm on one a week right now. And so I, I might transition back into two a week because it looks like I'm going to get on top of it again. So, uh, but yeah, I'll shoot I'm your like, message when it comes out and um, yeah, let you know and, like and I'll get a headshot ahead. from you or something. Oh, dude, that's amazing. Yeah. Are so you two I'm, a week, one a week? You you pay a lot. Yeah, uh, one a week plus two a month. You do Patreon. some for Patreon, right? So how can yeah. people support you on Patreon? How do they find you? Is that you have permission or is it Dan Coke? Uh, yeah, that's uh, patreoncom slash Coke. Okay, um, or and you that's K O C H. K O C H. Yeah, yeah. So you can put that link Perfect. there if you want. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to crimp your your patrons though, Phil. Are you, you know, kidding, kidding me? Dude, come on. Like what, what's your minimum buy-in for Patreon? Like five bucks? Five bucks. Yeah. Yeah. People can give me five bucks and they give you five bucks. I, Which I have actually, full faith in you it. have a sliding scale if you can't afford five bucks. Even better, right? <laughs> give, give me, give me nine bucks and give Dan one. I'm all about supporting amazing uh, people and what they're doing and, and communities. And yeah, if we can, uh, if we can finance you so you can give more time to your research and, and, um, you know, more time to other stuff and whatever, find a, a, a more healthy balance. I know that that can be a big part of that, you know, figuring out the, yeah, the I mean, dynamics. For me, stuff. it's yeah. like, I have a good job now. And when I'm a psychologist with a doctorate, I'll have a good job then. It's more about, I find that especially the Facebook group is so much better once I charged for it. As soon and as there's a paywall for something, 100%. Yep, when I did Depolarize, I had a free group and it just descended. You know, people are, it's not like the people are bad. It's just the, it just became unhelpful very quickly. Yeah. And yeah. uh, the the Facebook group is easily the best thing about the Patreon community and the whole experience, mm -hmm. including my experience of it. It's It's become, it's so awesome. And and the paywall is a big part. I'm sure, I bet you've yeah. experienced something similar. 100%. My, my yeah. favorite thing all week, every week is chatting with, uh, you know, the different patrons we have on, um, we use Discord, um, which yeah. is just amazing as well. But um, cool. I'm, I'm not using Facebook anymore. I got, I just, I was pulling my hair out. It's just too much. It was too much of a stress factor and anxiety inducing environment for me. So I just, I basically only hard. use it for the group. So it's right. I, I occasionally <laughs> will post like maybe every month or two, I'll post something else. So yeah, it's, there's, there's not a, I, I, I worry about how many people I'd lose if we switch to discord, people who are not familiar with sure. it. You know, it's, it's, it's just a big, it's a bit of a steep curve and it's a different platform and yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. so i mean if you're listening or watching this you're clicking with what dan's saying um and you want to be a part of a online community that's a bit more um protected safe a bit more kind of um tight than maybe some larger um Super just supportive. generalized yeah. groups on facebook you should definitely check out his patreon and is that mostly progressive christians that fall into that kind of would mm. you say say the average listener is a progressive Christian, but we have quite a few agnostics and atheists and mm -hmm. we have a handful of people who would identify as at least sort of moderate theologically or center right. I don't think okay. there's probably nobody would like me if they really identify as conservative. I just right. would not be a good place for them, but yeah. there's some, you know, there's like some Republican voting, maybe probably not a lot of Trump voters, although maybe a handful. Right. Uh, but mostly it's, yeah, it's progressive Christians yeah. or people who are kind of spiritual in some sense and, and a handful of non-spiritual people. Right. You don't have like John McCarthy using his alt account in there, no? 
No. And I don't have, and there's no trolls there. We are completely troll free. That's, that's the paywall, right? I mean, At even least, just a buck exactly. a month and it's yeah. like, sorry, I'm just not willing to troll you for that. <laughs> right? yep. People are not willing to pay for about Paying someone that you yep. do not like, you do not like what they're about. I'm not giving right. you a dollar or five bucks a month. No way. Yeah, um, no way. Right? Even if it means I can go in there and save people, I am not giving you five bucks. And it's like, awesome. Perfect. I found my barrier. That's so funny. Yeah. I haven't even it's thought of it that isn't way. It? There's some psychological barrier that, that I don't that, even get a lot of like is. emails or tweets or any like I feel wow. like uh, what I'm I'm not even getting really any pushback and I and it's like the show has grown quite a bit and I'm still mm. not getting it like I don't at first I thought it was like well maybe not enough people listen but now that doesn't seem like that could be the reason it's got to be something more like people are just content in their own bubbles and they're just they're not even I know I. Now, I I understand, like, if uh, if I get a hit piece about me in Gospel Coalition, I'm sure I'll get a sure. ton of hate mail. Like, you there's a, a certain right level person. of profile, but like, a lot of people listen, and I don't get any pushback, really. Yeah. I mean, I get pushback from like my wife and my friends. I don't, <laughs> I don't just have people stroking my ego all day long. But I just mean like, I'm not getting those like, you're sending people to hell, all caps, right. Facebook messages. You know, I'm just not getting them. Yeah. So well, I think, you know, uh, just to stroke your ego a bit more, I, I do think there's a lot about that is that you have a very soft, generous, compassionate approach when we talk about these things. And so it's really easy to talk about um, kind of progressive topics and open up a, a topic about, you know, here's the different ways we can look at LGBTQ mm. or, or whatever it might yeah. be. But I think that the way you would approach that topic, even if I was radically polarized from maybe where you have landed, Right. I think the the way that you approach something like that is so kind, so generous, so compassionate um, that it's it's quite hard to hate someone like that. I might hate their position and get a bit frustrated, <laughs> right. but I'm probably right. less likely to send them a death threat. You know, I'm not going to cut up a newspaper over it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Right. Um, and so oh, I do think it's part of your yeah, approach. Part you know, of I can imagine, you know... Um, you know, my friends, Adrian and Josh over at Dirty Rotten Church Kids, I can imagine Christians getting more upset over their podcast than yours uh, just because of definitely. the dynamics of how that conversation flows. And and I, I love their stuff. And I think it's really important yeah. that they're doing what they do the way they do it. I like those um, guys, yeah. It, it creates a different audience. Um, but I do think certainly definitely. they're not going to have many moderate right people kind of like exploring sure. um, where they're at. And so I do think there's something about just the way that you approach that. And and in some ways, maybe that is, um, I know that's not your heart to convert people, but if, if there was a way to reach people in that place and give them space to explore and maybe grow um, as maybe you or, or I might understand that, that's probably the way to do it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, well, I did a show called Depolarize a few years back and I just became so convinced by the psychology of it all that like... Mm we're just we're just so much more tribal than we think we are and and what that should produce in us is a huge dose of humility yeah not like sounding humble but like actual humility like i think this but here's why i could be wrong and so yeah i think also um because i don't really produce anything short i don't have youtube clips i don't right i don't have a lot of like no sound bites to get you on there's no set like I don't even do like short clips on. I'll make a great soundbite from this that says you're a Satanist or something. I might have to dub you a bit, <laughs> get a voice coach yeah, in or something. But, but so like the barrier to entry to like trolling me is like listening to a 90 minute episode and like yeah. no one's going to spend 90 minutes just to figure out they don't like somebody. So right. uh, that might be protecting me a little bit as well. 
you know, yeah for sure people. for sure that's maybe what one of the things that helps me although i definitely get a lot of people that uh don't like what i do so who knows um i'm probably just a little bit less uh um well-rounded <laughs> probably you who also knows? probably have a bigger um, reach and stuff so uh, I, I would doubt it. I piss off everyone. I piss off the progressives. I piss off the liberals. I piss off the conservatives. I, I'm well, pretty should, good at pissing everyone off. You should off, piss so. off left and right. <laughs> I think in I think in 2021, if if you don't make people on either side at least a little bit mad, you're doing it wrong because yeah. there we're just all siloed way too much. I wish we're, we had a parliamentary a system. Like did you, you see the the study better. that got posted about that? Um, called uh, I think it was Perception Gap. Such an interesting study. I'll need to send you it. I think it's per- people listening to this still. I don't know. I mean, I'll probably keep this. Um, perceptiongap.us. Um, really fascinating where they basically asked um, Republicans and Democrats to self-identify where they're at and then to basically yeah. label where they're at on different things and then ask oh, them, yeah. where are Republicans on this and left up? Yes. And then they basically looked at the different perception gaps of, of these different things. And it was astonishing to see just how big those perception gaps were. You know, I mean, yep. so many of them agreed on basically everything or like, were like, you know, five percentage points different um, on their mm-hmm. on their position. And yet the perception gaps were like, you know, 70% across, you know, when it was yeah. actually only five or eight or something yeah. like that. And you're like, oh my gosh. That might have, have been Ryan Burge's a... work. He's like a religion focused data guy. And uh, his episode with me is, is airing pretty soon. And we got into oh, wow. a bunch of that stuff. Yeah. Nice. Dude, I need to, I need to like just troll through all your podcasts to find all these great people to interview. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think we've yeah. probably done about the same sort of uh, amount. So we can easily double just by swapping people that we know. Look at um, that. <laughs> well, thanks for All having right. me, man. Let's stop raffling because I know you've got um, family. Your kid's definitely up from his nap now. And, He's uh, up now, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Dan, really, I appreciate it. And and yeah, people check out Dan's stuff for sure. Um, and thanks, we'll, we'll stay in appreciate touch. Appreciate it, man. All right. Love you, man. Catch you later. Peace. Peace. All right. So that was Dan Cook. I really hope you enjoyed that. Um, I personally loved it. It's always a, a just a joy, and this happens with most of my guests. I, I I admit, like most of the people I have on are just absolute joys to talk to. Uh, but it's always a special joy when you can uh, really bond with someone that you you didn't know before and, and you really click with. And um, you know, I just felt like I really got on fire with with Dan. Like um, uh, we just clicked on so many levels with the research, with our sense of humor, with maybe the the worlds that we're uh, inhabiting and the types of people that we're trying to help. Um, it was just a real joy. And, and I hope that you felt that as we had that conversation, I hope you felt drawn into that and, and, and enjoyed that yourself. Um, if you want to connect with Dan, I would encourage you check out his Instagram. Like you said, it's Dan Coke. Uh, he spells it as it's pronounced, not as it's spelt. Um, and so D-A-N-C-O-K-E. Um, his, his name, of course, is K-O-C-H, but it's pronounced like Coke, like the beverage. Um, so check him out on Instagram, shoot him a message, let him know that you love this uh, podcast. I'm sure he would be very encouraged to hear that. It's always encouraging as someone that goes on other people's uh, podcasts to know that people listen and, and that they enjoyed it and that you spending a couple of hours talking to some stranger was worth it. And so um, by all means, shoot him a DM on Instagram and tell him that you, you appreciated him taking the time, that you enjoyed the conversation for whatever reasons you enjoyed it. Um, I'm sure he'd appreciate that. Remember to check out his website, So You're Deconstructing. Um, and that's your Y-O-U-R-E, not Y-O-U-R, um, which I did at first when I typed it into the because my grammar is so bad that I didn't pick up on that initially. And I got a 404. And so make sure you spell that right. And um, I'll put the links, of course, in the show notes. So if you're lazy, you can just click that and not even lazy. If you're smart, right, just click the link rather than type it all in. Um, so you're deconstructing.com. 
great resource, especially, as I said, for those who are really looking to try and navigate deconstruction while holding on to a lot of their Christian faith. There's so much of the Christian faith um, that is expansive, that is inclusive, that can allow for um, a varied thought and beliefs um, that maybe in our fundamental upbringings we weren't exposed to and we're told that that's just not possible. Well, that's a, kind of a lie um, at the end of the day. Um, and so Dan's stuff is really helpful for that. I know it's not just his website. I know some other people are involved there, but um, yeah, that website is a great resource to check out. I'd encourage you to do that. Um, and I encourage you as well to check out his podcast. You have permission, especially again, if you're looking to explore through more of a Christian lens, it's a phenomenal resource. There's a lot of an amazing conversations on there. Dan is an excellent teacher and, and breaks down things in incredible depth and incredible ways. Um, and so I really encourage you to check that out. Um, and also he has incredible guests on, really interesting people. I'm going to go through, uh, at some point I've made a point of, uh, of making a note to go through and, and write down a whole bunch of names of people he's had on that I haven't come across that just sound absolutely amazing. Um, and so yeah, I encourage you to check out that podcast as well. Um, I'm sure you'll enjoy it as well. Obviously, check out the deconstructionnetwork.com free resource to connect with other people deconstructing. I really would encourage you to do that. We're about to launch another study that's going to come out in a week or so. And so look out for that as well, because um, the research we're doing on people that are deconstructing is so helpful and so key to um, to clearing up the narrative around deconstruction. Of course, there's a shit ton of people right now talking crap about deconstruction and trying to say who is deconstructing, why they're deconstructing, how they should deconstruct, how they shouldn't deconstruct. Um, and part of challenging those really inaccurate um, representations is feeding it with data. And so um, having people take part in our research is really key. And so if you haven't already, I'd encourage you to go to the deconstructionnetwork.com, click on the research tab and do the initial survey because we're going to require people to do each survey that comes out sequentially because we're going to be building a meta survey over time. Um, it's going to be basically a huge portion of data over like many, many years that we can build these incredible profiles, all anonymous, of course, everyone's data is anonymized and, uh, and we don't have access to all of the kind of private details of your, of your life. Obviously, all this is done up to speed with the, the latest kind of research protocols and GDPR and all that kind of stuff. Um, but we're going to build these incredible profiles where we can start saying, well, actually, um, did you know that actually uh, average income? has a, a huge impact on deconstruction or education levels have impact on deconstruction? Or did you know that um, people that grew up in uh, historically black churches have a very different type of deconstruction than people that grew up in a Baptist church? You know, and we'll be able to look at very different um, things as we explore this ongoing. And so I really encourage you, please do um, get stuck in. The, the, the surveys take five minutes usually, maybe 10 if you're really slow. Um, but they aren't a, a huge undertaking, but they, they create so much benefit as far as um, how we can um, talk about deconstruction moving forward, creating academic um, data on the deconstruction uh, movement is so important. I know Dan's doing that and, and a bunch of other people are trying to do that. Um, and so, yeah, I'd really appreciate your help with that. It's just the deconstructionnetwork.com and you go click on the research tab and you can dive in there um, and yeah. You, you might as well you might as well go there anyway and see if you can find anyone that's deconstructing locally it's a it's a icing on the cake that you get to be part of um amazing research you don't have to be you can do one or the other but um that is there um 
yeah, that's everything, I guess. Uh, if you want to join our online community, um, you can do that at patreon.com slash Drysdale as a thank you for your support. We have an amazing online community where we talk about all kinds of things and, and support each other as we deconstruct. Um, we also do regular voice chats with each other and, and, uh, and regular Zooms as well. Um, our next uh, big monthly Zoom is coming up in the next week or so, and we're going to be talking about consciousness. And so I'm encouraged to do that. I, I usually cook a big batch meal once a week that I freeze. And, and while I'm doing that, we usually have a voice chat as well. And so there's a whole bunch of ways to connect and, and have a bit more of an intimate type community um, than something like Instagram or, or Facebook um, can afford usually. And so I'd encourage you to check that out. It's patreon.com slash or fieldrysdale.com slash partner. For now, I'll stop rambling. It's been an honor to spend this time with you. I really appreciate um, your, your support, your attention, um, your encouragement. I, I really do. If you ever need someone to talk to, please reach out, connect to me on Instagram. It's just Phil Drysdale. I love hearing people's stories. I love um, connecting with people and helping them in any way I can. So please don't hesitate if you do need someone to talk to. That's enough for me. I'll see y'all in the next episode. Uh, we'll be doing next Monday, which is going to be talking about why people deconstruct and some of the common myths surrounding why people deconstruct. And I'm looking forward to um, sharing that resource with you. I think it'll be really helpful. It might be very helpful for friends and family as well. Um, and so, yeah, keep an eye out for that episode 109, Why Do People Deconstruct? For now, though, catch you later. Love you all. Peace.